welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that all of you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, we had a beautiful Thanksgiving. The weather cooperated. It was a beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it was a little bit different for me because, unfortunately, I came down with shingles. Isn't that exciting? And so rather than being able to join my family for our Thanksgiving celebration, I kind of had to stay secluded. We have uh, pregnant people in the family and small children and babies, and I didn't want to be a risk to any of them. So I was kind of bummed out, but it was a wonderful day, and they kept me kept me in the loop with Facebook and FaceTime and movies and the iPhone, thank heavens, and all the wonderful technology that we had that made me feel as though I was a part of it, even though I wasn't physically there. So, but we, uh, we, I just still looking at the videos, I have so many things to be thankful for, and, and I know that when people get sick, one of the first things that that does is remind them how much your physical health is so important to your all well-being that, you know, no matter how many things you have, uh, if you don't have your physical health, it doesn't really matter. And this was certainly a reminder for me. And it brings me to the topic and to my guest today. My guest today is Lori. And Lori has a wonderful blog called The Heartful Mom. And she's so uplifting and happy and very positive, which is always nice. There, there's a tendency, I think, sometimes when you get on the blogs of people that are dealing with disabilities, that they can become very negative. And you can feel an undertone to the blog of resent, resentfulness and, and anger. And you know, they, they put over a, an image of trying to be positive, but you can feel an undertone of sadness. And Lori's blog is not like that. And she has a lot of challenges. And when we talk about physical health, she is dealing with something that I have never heard of and definitely something very challenging. So I'm going to bring Lori on in a second, but I just wanted to tell you just a little bit about what, um, what she has in her family. She has a wonderful family, very supportive spouse, and four fabulous children. Two of those children have a very rare genetic disorder. And um, her, her daughter, Mary Ellen, is 28. Her son, Kevin, is 27. And they were both born with a syndrome called Warburg Micro Syndrome. Extremely rare. Probably only, I think Lori will tell us for sure, but 100 cases throughout the, throughout the entire world. And her two children are actually the two longest living people that have had this syndrome. So um, it's amazing. And to have one child that has a disability, I know how that affects our family, but to have two children with a very severe disability has got to be overwhelming at times. And I'm going to have Lori talk to us about what exactly that, that means when you say someone has Warburg micro syndrome. So Lori, are you, uh, how are you doing today? Hi, Renee. I'm doing great. Thank you. for oh, having I'm s- Thank you. Now you are way out there on the East coast. How was your Thanksgiving? How was the, how did the weather treat you? 
It was very nice. It was actually kind of warm for us in the 60s. So uh, we enjoyed it. It was quiet, and we had a nice family day. Wow, that's amazing. So tell tell the listeners, Lori, um, you have four children. Where do Mary Ellen and Kevin fall in your in your list? Well, Katie was first. She's 30. And then Mary Ellen, okay. then Kevin. And then our youngest is James. He's 18. Okay. Okay. So you were, um, when, when Mary Ellen was born then, did you still not have a diagnosis of, of what the, the issue was? Or how long did it take before you got the Warburg um, syndrome diagnosis? Warburg micro was not positive till about four years ago, four or five years ago. Whoa! Was, right, because it's it's so rare; it was not something you could test for. Okay. So, so since you know we we had a we kind of thought it was it in the mid nineties, but there was so there was nothing you know it was just clinical observation you know and pictures and things like that. Right. So you had Katie, everything was fine, no problems yeah. whatsoever. A couple yeah. years later, you have Mary Ellen, and she has a lot of things going on. Tell the listeners, what are some of the things that, that kids that have this syndrome, what are some of the things they have to deal with? Well, at birth, usually they notice that the, the baby has cataract, which, which have to be operated on very soon because then, you know, the chance for vision developing decreases the longer you wait. So that's like right away, the cataract surgery, both eyes. But a lot of times with micro syndrome, you can do the cataract surgery, but then there's other defects in the brain that prevent them from seeing well. So, but you always Uh. have to do the cataract surgery to give the, you know, the chance for good vision. Some kids can see, you know, a lot of kids can't. After the surgery, after they, right. after they do right. the cataract but, you know, surgery. You do years kids. and years of, uh, we did, you know, contact lenses and glasses for years, trying. And um, it just, it, there was really no difference with or without. You have to balance it with, um, is it worth doing something the kids hate? You know, we, there was really no difference with and without the contact lenses and glasses. So we tried for a good three years and then, you know, we just stopped because they hated it. You know, it's not easy putting contact lenses in and out of a baby all the time. Oh, my gosh, I can't imagine. You know, that's so true because our son was diagnosed as being cortically blind, which means that the eyeball itself is fine, but the optic nerve is very pale. And so messages weren't getting back to the cortex. And so his vision, we didn't really know what his vision was, but a lot of my children are very, very farsighted. And he was a little farsighted as well. So we tried glasses too, um, thinking, well, we're not quite sure what your vision is, but Let's give you all the help we possibly can just in case. And there were so many other things. And he hates having things on his face, hates having right. things on his head. And so rubbing them off and having them fall off and then us not really knowing if this was helping his vision or not. It, you, we did the same thing. Eventually, you're just like, nah, this isn't worth it. So, right. so okay, so that's the first thing. And I know you said there are some physical things that are similar to Down syndrome, where there's similar characteristics that you identify. And talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I don't know if it's Down syndrome. They, they're typically like a very severe cerebral palsy, the microsyndrome kids. So they have a lot of uh, contractures and muscle problems. And, and, um, right. But I mean, like you, you mentioned in one of your blog things that they have the small eyes and the longer uh, kind of their mouths are in a certain, so there are physical things that are similar that the kids that have the Wahlberg micro syndrome seem to all have. 
they they have a typical look. Yes, they have the small eyes right, and the exactly. downturned mouth, and yes, this, usually you know most of the kids have microcephaly, which is a smaller head, and um, they're smaller in general. You know, Kevin and Mary Ellen are probably the size of a twelve-year-old or a ten-year-old. Oh. So there's some kind of dwarfism with it as well. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so then the list goes on. So name some of the other things. I I mean, there's microphthalmia. What's that? Oh, microphthalmia is the small eyes. Yeah. And then there's polyhypogyria okay. in the brain, which is um, the front part of the brain is not developed as well as you know normally. So that ah. that leads that may lead to seizures, which are not uncommon. And um, uh-huh. which we you know we kind of have everything. <laughs> Oh, so and so everything that was on the list, you're like, thank you, yes, thank you, yes. You, you were like, could you could you just have had one thing gone here? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So the the children, go ahead. When when they were babies and we didn't really know what they had, we were told that they they probably wouldn't live to see two, and then they wow. became you know they were two, and then it was five, and then it was ten, and then you know just we don't know. So that's really right. How we learn to appreciate every day. You know, we appreciate every exactly. single day. Exactly. And how how soon? How old were they when you decided that to, uh, tube feeding was the only way you were going to be able to feed them? Did they have a difficulty eating right away? Um, no, no uh, they were failure to thrive. But in those days, they didn't really do tubes like they do now. So right. we fed them by mouth. Kevin was eleven, and Mary Ellen didn't get her G tube till she was nineteen. Wow. Yeah, she ate. Yeah, it was. It got challenging towards the end because they, she lost interest. You know, it was it's because it took so long. You know, with the, the yes. you know, coordinating the swallow and the, you know, it just was not fun anymore. And were you working with a um, speech therapist to try to develop the swallow? Yes, yes, yeah. And Mary Ellen, until she was nineteen, it just she had a double swallow. She just it was really hard to stay up with the caloric needs. Right. Right. So and then the medications, you know, because they're on so many medications, every meal is mixed with some kind of medicine, and that tastes awful. Exactly. So it didn't help. <laughs> yeah. You're so right. There are a lot of similarities to the cerebral palsy where my son had the, um, he would take like three sucks before he would try to swallow, and then he would gag. Right. And, yeah. and then again, uh, medi- uh, certain medications. And I love, I remember one time being in the hospital, you'll have to tell me if you've had this experience, and they were trying to get his medication down him, and they're like, you know, just mix it with a little applesauce. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I've done that. It doesn't work. He just throws it back up again. And so finally, she was exasperated with me, and she, she just said, let me show you how to do it. So she did it, and then he threw up all over her. And I was like, and what are we doing next? You know, so Mom's it okay. doesn't hide the taste. Yes. Yeah. So Kevin was happy to have his G-tube at 11. I think he just, you know, was done. Oh, no kidding. No and then, kidding. You know, and both of them had tracheostomies. Kevin was 11 for his. So he has a trach in his neck and that's how he breathes. And uh, okay. Mary Ellen got hers when she was 24. Wow. Okay. Because breathing became more uh, too laborious or things just stopped working or what, well, what made her yeah. have to finally get a trach? I think it's the low muscle tone, the low muscle tone and everything in the back of the throat is just hard to have a good airway. So she I would see. do okay. It just, we would have to reposition her head constantly to have a good airway. And yes. Very problematic. Wow. Especially at night, you're, you, your sleeping must be probably not very much. You probably did, at least. We have nurses. Very, very fortunate. You know, we have nurses okay. in our home and we've had, 
you know, for most of their lives. And uh, I think one of our nurses that's been with us for 25 years is also calling in. And uh, it's just a way of life. And I that's amazing. I how blessed we are that we can do this at home because I couldn't do it by myself. Oh, no, no. So when, when Mary Ellen was born then, with all of these problems, you you had to have help from day one. And so um, really you started having in-home care right from the very beginning? Mary Ellen was four-ish, right about four. Oh. Both of them were having seizures all the time at that time. She was four, okay. she was three, and it was kind of had, and respiratory issues. So that's when we started. And we started slow, just a few hours a day here and there. And then... By the time Kevin got in, then he's on the ventilator at night. Then it became a, a full-time thing, you know, overnight. Right, right. So wow. So Mary Ellen was four. So you had Mary Ellen and Kevin. And when now, when Kevin was born, <laughs> did this kind of trigger the maybe we should do some genetic testing? Because you must have been. Tell us what that was like. You you probably thought Mary Ellen was rare and. Right. No one knew, so whatever. Let's let's have another baby. Yep, was a fluke. Don't worry. And and then Kevin came along, and even they said then he was fine. But I knew. I knew right after he was born there was something wrong. And uh, so then, but we still didn't know the magnitude, you know, of it. Right. They're just both babies. They're only a year apart. So we didn't, as they developed or didn't develop, is when we noticed how, you know, because when it's just cataracts, you most kids that are born with cataracts are fine when you do the surgery. So that's what we thought we were dealing with. Right. But then there was lack of development and the seizures and then everything, you know. Right. And they, they didn't even have MRIs in those days, so we didn't really know the extent of the brain damage until MRIs came around. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't is. th- I mean, we really have to be so grateful for modern technology because I know when our son was born in 1985, they said that five years before that, which is when my oldest daughter was born, they did not know how to do the surgery to correct diaphragmatic hernias. And I just remember thinking, really? In, in that uh, five years, in that amount of short time, things had progressed to the point where these specialists were able to do this surgery. And so we really are so grateful for, for what science and technology has, has given us. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, so after Kevin was born... You must have been devastated and yeah. absolutely, and, and very confused why, what was happening, correct? Right. You know, the doctors were positive it was some kind of genetic condition that just wasn't discovered yet. And we were young. I mean, I had, I had Kevin when I was 23, so that's three children by 23. So I, Yikes. I didn't know, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Here, like, this is a genetic condition that never happened in the history of this world before. It's, it's kind of hard to believe right. that I have two of them, you know. Right, right. So talk a little bit about how rare this is. And, and you have a, a community that you correspond with. Tell us a little bit about that. Yep, we have a little Facebook group, Warburg Micro Syndrome. Now we're up to, we might be about 40 kids right now from all over the world. I think there's about five in the United States. And um, that, it, that is, what you read online about Warburg Micro Syndrome is horrible. You know, parents, that's the first thing they see. So our hope, and that's why I do the blog, is to show that there is happiness and joy, and it's not what you read on those in those journals. So that right. Facebook group is just great for that. You know, it just gives hope to the, the little ones. You know, it's much easier to diagnose now, although still so rare. They can just do genetic testing and test for it. Wow. So they did. Did they do the genetic testing then shortly after Kevin was born? 
there was really, we did every test that was available in those days, but everything came back negative until they discovered Warburg Micro Syndrome. That was 1993. And then our genetic defect was not discovered until, you know, much later. So that was about maybe 15 years later than that. And, uh, so by that time, you've already got your youngest. Yes, James, we adopted. So ah. he's clear. <laughs> yes, at least you hope. Yeah, he's yeah. not, he's, well, he's 18, so there's still time. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I look at my, some of my children, and I'm thinking, I don't know which one of you is the handicapped one, the one in the wheelchair or right. <laughs> the one that just drove away when we said not to, you know? <laughs> Oh, interesting. Well, that that I cannot even imagine what your family had to go through. And talk a little bit about the help that you did get and how how they serve your family. With the nurses? Yes. The nurses are just amazing. You know, we we started when Mary Ellen and Kevin were four and three or three and two. And uh, it started slow and it was a, a, it was a bit, little bit, you know, a transition period because I had to give up some of my mommy to a nurse, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, but once you develop that relationship, then it's so nice to have someone else. I, I call Kathy, who's been with us 25 years. I call her their other mom because she yes. knows them so well. And you know, it's, it gives me just you know, I, I can walk out of the house knowing that they're taken care of you know better than I could. Right. So talk a little bit about what even with the help that you have. I know in one of your blogs. You just talked a little bit about what it takes to go on an outing. Yeah. Tell the <laughs> listeners a little bit about what that is. Try to help them visualize what it means for all of you as a family to go somewhere. To go somewhere, for, we have to, Mary Ellen and Kevin have to be up and about, you know, ready. We have to start two hours prior because then it's, you know, getting up and dressed in wheelchairs and do we have oxygen? Do we have pulse oxes? Do we have ventilators? Do we have oxygen in the oxygen tanks? Are the ventilators charged? Is the suction charged? Everything packing onto the wheelchair. It, and it's, you know, times two. So it, and then, you know, once they're in the chair, is everybody, you know, everybody good? Does anybody need a diaper change right before we go and back into the bed? And, you know, so it's, it's quite a handful. But when we do it, it's, it, you know, I feel successful. Right, <laughs> we went right. We Santa yesterday and, you know, it worked out well. Uh, so, and now, and I'm sure that it gets more difficult as the weather changes on a beautiful sunny day that, that's one thing, but I know pushing children in wheelchairs when it's raining, you only have two hands. So we can't hold, a, hold an umbrella, push a wheelchair, and also you have to cover their legs, you know, because those of us that use wheelchairs are usually upright, vertical. And so, you know, but if you're sitting, your legs and your feet are still getting rained on. So weather is probably a big thing for, for you and your gang. Right. And we... Thankfully, when they turned 21, we slowed down to not leaving the house anymore. So there was no more school. We have services come here, which makes uh, life so much better. You know, that right. they're not sick as much. And, and every, you know, they're happy here in their little place. And uh, we go out when, we, when it's good. That's wonderful. Well, Lori, I want to bring Kathy on the line, the second mom that you mentioned. Um, I want to talk to her a little bit and have her tell us a little bit about her duties. Kathy, thank you for calling in. Hi, Renee. And so, Nurse Kathy, you are the second mom for Mary Ellen and Kevin. Tell us a little bit about how you work and how you join their family. 
Okay, well, I, w- I came aboard about 25 years ago, and initially at that time, we didn't have the 24-hour coverage that we have now. And at that time, I only worked like maybe one weekend a month because that was the only uh, allotment that was available to me. And as the years, you know, went on, I picked up more and more time, and now I work, you know, you know pretty much full-time. And, so that, uh, that was a matter of um, insurance or programs helping to fund your services or, or what, what, what has grown that's allowed you well, to have you know the, more hours? The, the children's uh, needs changed from when they were little. You know, I see. As they got older, they, you know, they're more, comp- more medically fragile and compromised, so they need, they need more care at home. Right. So now, did you start out as a home health care nurse, or were you working privately, or what made you decide no, to do I this in-home care? Working, you know, my, in, with my nursing career, I started working in a hospital. I was in um, a couple of hospitals in critical care, and I became a mom myself, and it just was not feasible to go back to the regular schedule. So I just kind of boxed into home care on whim, and... 25 years later, I'm still here, you know. So uh, I had the pleasure and the privilege of meeting this family, and they're part of my family now. That's amazing. And it's interesting that you would point out, and I think it's very important to point out to the listeners, that it is the absolute reverse with children that have severe disabilities. With, with normal children, as you mentioned, their care is very intense when they're younger and mommy has to be there for everything. But as they age, they become more independent and eventually they get to be little helpers actually. And, but with children that have severe disabilities, having them small and movable and, and uh, some, you know, little tiny package that you can carry around is a lot easier. And then as they become adults and now you're working with a, a grown man and a grown woman that have, you know, everything that, goes into the description of being an adult, you're, you're now serving their needs as well. And physically, it's more difficult. But then, as you mentioned with Kevin and Mary Ellen, their uh, things that are involved in the syndrome actually got worse. So talk a little bit about that. Well, as, the, as they've aged, um, of course, they've gotten larger and um, med- they, they have been medically fragile as well. Um, in right. terms of their respiratory status. There was a lot of choking and coughing and occlusion of their airways. So that eventually led up to, you know, having a trach. And that's not the easiest thing to take care of, you know, unless you have, like, skilled care with, you know, available. So right. that was one, one thing that occurred. And then as, as, in terms of feeding, feeding was an, and nutrition was another issue because choking was a big thing, you know, on, on food. So eventually, right. we ended up having we they ended up having um, gastric tubes placed in. So that's another issue, you know. So right. it's, it's all in all, and then the respirators are something else that you know we've been dealing with as they've gotten older. When they were younger, they really weren't on respirators. Well, Mary Ellen wasn't anyway, but Kevin is was and now Mary Ellen is, and uh, you know we just do what we have to do to, to um, make the best for them, you know, right. and, and you know. And Lori, um, you mentioned that you mentioned that the kids aged out of the school system. So talk a little bit about how they were included in your school system. Um, Kevin and Mary Ellen both went to a specialized school for multiply handicapped children. 
Okay. A better environment for them here. They tend to do that. You know, it's different than in other parts of the country, I think. But here, it, it was good for them because it was a small class and less. Uh, they weren't going to be near other kids getting sick. Oh, and, and that's very know, true. As as you know, the kids get older. Every little cold is a big deal. Right. So, little colds have lingered. And honestly, I, I went to school. Many with, times. I went to school with the kids as well, and I can testify to that. When when they were in school, the socialization was great. However, there were so many children that sent, went to school that were sick, and I would like keep them on the side, keep, try to keep them away from the sick kids, so that that didn't you know happen to us. That's really true, Kathy, and I think that's something that you don't think about when. People talk about, you know, inclusion programs and having children included and mixed in with with the regular kids and, and how what a great environment that is. And there are a lot of really great things about that. But as you mentioned, I know every doggone September, it, I get a cold because they all get a cold. The minute they all go back to school, the kids all get colds. Then the flu season kicks in. Then everything is just one big communal mess. And, and when you have medically fragile children, as you mentioned, that's just not, that's just not something you can you can just hand someone a Kleenex. It, it can be critical. So, so Kathy, you mentioned that you went to school with the kids. How did that work? Well, it was quite interesting. I, I kind of enjoyed it. I would um, go to the house in the morning, and we'd get them ready, and we'd go get on the school bus. And once again, going out, we had to make sure that it had all the equipment, because now it's not just a short trip. Now it's spending a day at the school. So we would go <laughs> traveling with quite a bit of supplies, just to be on the safe side and hoping to right. need them, you know. Right. Um, and then they were they were in school in, you know, separate. Well, actually, some of the time they were in the same classroom. Most of the time they were in the same classroom. So that was good because I could oversee what was going on with both kids. Because usually I went to school with technically one of them, but um, I, yeah, I'm a busybody. I couldn't help but take care of the other one while I was there as well. You know? Right. But, um, yeah, so it... They, they would have a routine in the school, depending on the classroom. We'd, we'd go in and they'd have, you know, like a, a different sections where they'd have uh, physical therapy or they'd have speech therapy, all different therapies throughout the day. And then there was, like, programs within the classroom itself. The teacher would have different, different you know, sections in the classroom, like uh, storytelling or hands-on activities or all different, different types of activities for the kids. Right. Right. And it is such a wonderful thing socially for the kids to have that. I love the fact that they had the agenda. They had their daily routine that includes the bus coming in the morning, the, the bus bringing them home in the afternoon. It's so fabulous that they have these programs that are out there. So how did Mary Ellen and Kevin adjust, Lori, to aging out of the school system and suddenly there's no place to go? I think they love it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Everybody was so <laughs> loves to sleep in. She just loves sleeping in and not having to get up yes. or anything. She does her thing. And Kevin, he just, he has a chair that he sits in and listens to. Uh, right now he's into Harry Potter and he just does not like to be bothered. And he just wants to sit there and listen. And, you know, school wasn't conducive to that because he had to do things they wanted. So this is, yes. I think both of them just love it. Well, and you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because each individual child and each individual disability is different. So I remember when my son was in the school system and he basically, 
is a very, very social person, but pretty severely disabled. So I didn't have any hopes of him achieving any kind of academic level. He was there basically to uh, be included. And so when I would listen to other mothers talk about their children that they were dealing with IEPs and things like that because their children had Down syndrome, but they had, you know, different goals and things set for them. And it was an entirely different situation for them. They were moving kids from one junior high to another junior high. And, and because there was academics involved, it wasn't just a social experience. But like you say, then there were other kids who I'm sure school was, as you mentioned, it's like, I just wish someone would leave me alone. And that's, that means they're just like all the other kids, right? Right. That right. means they're true. like all that's the other true. kids. Once one scenario does not fit all. Okay. Right. And I love that you pointed want. out that they're, they each have their own likes and dislikes. Talk a little bit about that. Mary Ellen is all girl. She loves anything silly and flowery and Anytime we talk, you know, Disney princess, she's, she's just thrilled. You know, she's just very girly, you know, giggly. And, and Kevin just is a, he's a little, he's happy, a little more serious, but he's into the, the guy stuff. So when he, I'm, I'm going to say the word, he loves fart sounds. And, oh, and oh, it's so, so movies. male. What is it? <laughs> yeah. And if he hears something. He has an odd sense of humor as well. When, if you like get hurt or if you trip, he, he like starts to laugh, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. You would say that. Okay. (laughs) Go on that. I have to, that's so funny. Go ahead. And jokes. He loves jokes. Anything off color. He's, he's a fan. (laughs) He's a boy. What is it about these boys? I mean, my son, I pick him up. I put him in his wheelchair. I accidentally run my shin into the wheel (laughs) and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And he thinks that is the funniest thing in the world. I'm like, you are such a boy. What is it about? It just really lets you know. And, and you know, when, when you talked about MRI, what, what did they give you? What information did that give you as far as their mental ability? Um, well, they always tested as profound mentally retarded. But okay. That was, I, I always, I took that with a grain of salt because that's for typical children that can see. So for yeah. a child that can't see, you're, you know, and can't move. That's a lot you're asking them to do, and, you know, you're placing profoundly mentally retarded. I think both kids understand a lot. They, they don't right. speak, they don't see, they um, don't they, move. They definitely much. understand. They understand everything. Yep. And Isn't that know, funny? Isn't that funny? All of the testing really, that they do. Right. You can't perform that on their IQ test. But we're not out to prove anything. I know what is, you know? Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Who knows? There, there's a wonderful book out there. I don't know if you guys have read it called The, um, the Butterfly and the Diving Bell. I may not have that uh, name correct. But it, it's about a man who developed uh, something similar to Bell's palsy and became absolutely entrapped in his body. He couldn't move any part of his body, but his mind was intact. And the only way he could communicate was through blinking of his eyes. And he was eventually able to communicate to a, a couple of people, and they were able to discover that he was in there. And ever since I read that book, I, I look at my son, who's very similar to your two two people, and realize that he's in there. He, right. like you say, he knows what's going on. He just can't get it out. Right. And then from that point, that's how I have a great day every day. Because if they can be happy with all those limitations, how dare I not? Yeah. 
Oh, right? yes, seriously. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and talk a little bit about, um, in fact, Kathy, I'm going to let you go. I'd like to bring Kevin in on the conversation if I could, because I'd like to talk a little bit about how these two babies and having Kathy in the home, what, you know, how you guys have managed to have a great marriage and stay together. And because you've all read the statistics, I'm sure everyone talks about the statistics of having handicapped children in the home and what that does to the marriage. So talk a little bit, Kevin, about where, where your role is and how that affected you as the husband, the father. Um, pretty much Lori has taken the lead on taking care of the kids and she just tells me what to do. She's very boring. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Okay, great. There's nothing else to say. You're done. Okay. No, no, I'm only kidding. Um, no, but that's usually true. But as, as a young father, I'm sure that you were probably just as devastated as Lori was. And then did it put any kind of a fear in you as far as being the, the father of this family? And, and how did that affect you personally? You know, it was a gradual process, and I, I never stepped back and looked at it that way. Uh, you know, we, we worked together and handled everything that came along, and uh, it, it was all through teamwork, and I think that made the relationship that much stronger. That's so, so that that's, we it, to, describe what that means. When you say teamwork, describe how you divided up the duties as far as, um, Lori, I'm assuming that you were a stay-at-home mom. Um, for most of it, yes. Okay, off and, and so Kevin. Off and on. Okay, and so Kevin, how did how did that affect you? Were you, you know, did it must have been really hard to have to leave sometimes, knowing that your wife needed some help at first, like you say, for the first three years she has got these two babies. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, well, that was difficult, you know. But Lori is a very unique person, and. She puts 110% into these kids. And, uh, you know, as, as things developed and we were faced with these challenges, she never shied away from it, never turned the other way. She met them all head on. And, you know, when, when she got to the point that it was, you know, approaching what was too much to handle, I would step in and help out, you know. Uh, right. He helped out all the take time. Take over. Right. Right. I can tell that just looking at your family picture, I can just tell that this is such a, a unique and, and very solidly cemented family. So talk a little bit about the decision to bring Kathy into the home, what that's like having a full-time person that's not only there for a few hours during the day, but stays overnight. How did that affect your family dynamics? Is, is that to me? Uh, either Depression. one. I'm sorry. Here. There really was no decision. It was just too much for one person to take care of. You know, if if I was there and uh, we could split the duties, that was fine. But when I had to go to work, and it, it's just too much, I'd be out of the house for hours working, and it was just too much for Lori to take care of alone. So right. bringing in skilled nurses, you know, wasn't really a decision; it was a necessity. And it, right, you, know, you can adapt to anything, and and it's you know. It's nobody's choice to have uh, people who, who aren't part of the family living in the house, but we are blessed to be able to choose people like Kathy. She's like another mother to these children. Right, she really is right. another 
think, and, you know, when you have people like that coming in, it makes it very easy. Right, exactly. And I love what you said, Kevin, about adapting, that everything, every trial, every struggle that comes in is a matter of adapting, changing, being able to be movable. And I, I think that um, it, it's so important, especially for young families, to understand that it's, this is not a movie. This is not a play. There's no script. And we don't have control over what's going to happen. And you have to be able to adapt and change. Now, did, did um, having Kathy in the home, did that allow the two of you to get away and have date nights and things like that? Yeah, Kathy, you know, especially Kathy would, would tell us, go, go, I have it. Go ahead, go, you know, have some time alone. She's very understanding and, and uh, you know, and it, we have other nurses who are the same way. That, that right. We haven't always had great nurses. Some, some of the nurses that came weren't so great, you know, but they don't last. But yep. the, the vast majority are in that profession because they care and they want to help and they want to do what's best for people. Right, exactly. So we've been very fortunate. That's, you are re- very fortunate. That's, you're amazing. Well, I want to bring a friend of yours on. His name is Pete. He's a close friend of your, of your family. And he just wants to talk a little bit about the perspective that he has on what you're going through as a family. Pete, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, thank you so much for calling in. You're a well, family I, friend of the of the Burke. So tell us a little bit about about this great family. Well, I, I've uh, I've known Kevin for uh, over 34 years. Him and I went to the police academy together, and actually, he was a friend of my younger brothers. But he's been my best friend for longer than the number of years I can count. And through Kevin, of course, I've come to know uh, Lori and his wonderful family. What I'd like to say to you, I, I, I've never listened to her podcast, but I had heard that uh, Lori was going to be interviewed today, and I thought it was important enough to try to get the information to call in. I, I, I will say this from the bottom of my heart and with all sincerity. Kevin and Lori are true, truly an inspiration and an example to others. And let me just give you, you know, one uh, example of why I feel that way. Uh, my my children, I have two, uh, uh, a daughter and a son, they're in the same age uh, groups as uh, Kevin and Lori's uh, four children. And my son and his, his wife, they just had their second baby. Now, their first, my first grandchild, was born uh, 26 months ago. And I was riding to work with uh, Kevin one day. We were going to training, and he had picked me up. And what we do for a living... Uh, you know, it, 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 you can't put emotion into your job. You just need to do your job. So it's a little bit awkward to, to talk about, you know, things of an emotional nature, especially to Kevin. So anyway, we're in the car, and my uh, daughter-in-law was expecting. She was still a few weeks away from having uh, my first grandson. And I said to Kevin, I hope you don't think this is corny, but I really feel, the, you know, the type of life, an example that you and Lori lived, how you've loved your children and have always been there for them, has set an example to me because if, unfortunately, we haven't dealt with any health issues or birth issues with either one of my grandchildren, but by seeing how Kevin and Lori live their lives and care for Mary Ellen and Kevin Jr., 
it's an inspiration to me because without that example, I'm not sure how I would have handled it as a grandfather if, you know, God forbid, my grandchildren, my first grandson, had been born with some health issue. So in that way, they are an inspiration and an example. Right. It really lets, it gives the example and sets the scene for other people to recognize that there is a possibility to go on, that somehow if they can do it, we can do it. And I know that sounds simplistic, but sometimes that's what we need. I, I, we need to just be able to have a visual of somebody that's going through something and go, well, you know what? If they can do it, maybe I can do it. And that's so important. Exactly. So you and Kevin are both police officers? Yeah, yes, we are. Yep. Okay, well, so let's just add that stress onto the family. <laughs> so it's oh. not like, you know, Lori was able to say, well, bye, hon. Have a good time behind the desk today. I know you'll be home at five o'clock. Whenever she watched Kevin walk out the door, there was a good possibility he might not come back home. It, that, that's absolutely true. I've been a police officer for nearly 38 years. It, you know, it's the same amount of time as Kevin. But besides the... Uh, you know, the dangers of the daily routine that we face, the unit that we're in, uh, it, it exacts a tremendous amount of training, tremendous amount of training for the expertise that's needed to serve the public. And, and that's not getting on a soapbox. And I'll just give you another example. When we go to bomb school, and both Kevin and I are both bomb technicians, that's a six-week school away from home in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. So it's not like you're going to an eight-hour training course or, you know, to a college campus, and you're going to be home later that evening or that afternoon. You're away from your family, you know, 1,200 miles, you know, from here from Long Island for six weeks at a time. So with right. Kevin and Lori, that's, that adds another element into the care of their children, as well as, you know, the daily routine of running a family. Right. I'm so glad you pointed that out because, Lori, that's exactly what I was alluding to is – you know, you were not only the mother of Katie and Mary Ellen and Kevin Jr. Did you guys call him KJ, by the way? No, just Kev. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> our son, is a, he's a junior as well. We had to shorten his name because I was getting so confused. People would say, hey, how's Tony? And I'm like, I don't know. What Tony are you talking about? <laughs> you know, but... Uh, um, but, you know, so you're not only you're the caregiver, you're the nurturer, you're the person in charge. And and then you've you also are the the companion and you have a husband who's putting in um, hours that he has to go and do to provide for his family. Right. So I think that's so important for young mothers, especially today, to understand that when you're married and you're both committed to your roles and they can be whatever. Everyone can have a role. I'm not saying it's a, a male or a female. Whatever role you've decided to have as a family, you each have to be able to do that certain role. But you support each other in that. And right. so for Kevin to be gone for six weeks at a time meant you had to have outside help. Because physically, it's, it's just not possible for one person to do. But he also had to be able to go and do what he was supposed to do to provide for his family. And right. to give you the ability to do your job as well. So what a great example. Pete, I'm so glad you brought that up. So now you guys have both been uh, police officers for 38 years? Well, thereabouts, yes. <laughs> wow. So you've seen the things, a lot of things change in the last few years, probably especially. 
Yes, and actually we've seen a lot of things change just within the last few months. Uh, yeah. You know, after 9-11, because we live... Uh, we live just outside New York City, but we're in the tri-state region. Suffolk County mm-hmm. provided a tremendous amount of support to NYPD during 9-11. And we went from people holding up signs in their cars, you know, thank you, we, you know, bless you, and, you know, police officers, we love you, to now it's completely flipped uh, somewhat oh. in many respects to the other side, in 180 degrees with what's going on in the country right now. Right. And I, I'm so glad you pointed that out, Pete. Thank you so much for calling in. And I, I, I think that's so important to understand that that police officer that's out there risking his life, what he might be dealing with. How many times did Kevin have to go to work knowing that maybe Mary Ellen or little, you know, Kevin Jr. was going through a bad spell? And he had to still walk out the door to go serve the community. And so we don't know what those police officers are, are going through on a personal level. So I, I so appreciate your insight and in giving us that, that view of what it means to have severely disabled children that you're caring for and that you're responsible for, as well as, you know, fully capable and abled children as well. So thank you so much, Pete. I'm so glad you called. So Lori, you have an absolutely amazing family. Talk a little bit. We have just about 10 minutes left. I want to talk a little bit about Katie because she's the oldest and talk a little bit about how having two siblings and then an adopted baby actually come into the family, um, how that has affected her. And were, were there ever any times when you had to step back and go, we need to focus more on Katie, or was she always just mommy's little helper, or talk a little bit about that. We, well, when we started with the nurses when the kids were little, that enabled us to also have free time with Katie, which was great. You know, right. so, you know the first couple of years were tough, but then after the nurses started and Katie, you know, we got to have, you know, good relationship building. It just, um, she's wonderful. She's just the best girl. You know, she's my best friend. She's 30 now. And she's, you know, she's very understanding. You know, she, there were some tough days. You know, I specifically remember one time it was her birthday and Kevin was in the hospital. And we celebrated her birthday in the hospital room, which mm-hmm. he wasn't too fond of. Right, but, right. But, you know, she, she turned out okay. Yeah. And does she use this, this experience in her life? Has she used that as a jumping off board for for anything that she's chosen to do or how has she used the experience of having a brother and a sister in her life? I, well, she, she didn't choose to do that career wise. She's, um, she works with the police department as well, but oh. she, um, yeah, <laughs> she, it's amazing. she's very empathetic and anybody with disabilities, she's, you know, very, very empathetic. So I think that, you know, growing up with it has helped greatly. Yeah. It's such a blessing. People, I don't think, understand that um, that's one of the things with all of our other children. Uh, very sympathetic, very empathetic, very kind, uh, very willing to go and help. And I remember my son, uh, when he was in high school, there was a young man on the football team that was, um, they used his, whatever skills he could have on the football team. But then there were times that other kids made fun of him. And I, I was absolutely amazed that they could pat him on the back and say great things to him on football day. 
But then the rest of the time, they would make fun of him or, or, or pull little pranks and things like that on him. Just blew my mind. But my son was very aware of that and stood up for him yeah. and very, very kind and patient, even as adults now, and as they're all married with children of their own. And when they hear or see of any kind of bullying or anything going on with children that have disabilities or really anybody at all, it's just turned them into very sympathetic and empathetic people. So it is such a blessing. People don't understand that it's a lot of hard work, but having these children in your home is such a teacher and it allows for us to give to our children things that I don't think I would have been able to actually teach my children. No. And That's amazing. Well, I want to see some pictures on your blog of this fabulous police family. I want to see some blue up on you can post some more pictures, girl. What's going on here? I'm working on it. (laughs) All right. All right. That's amazing. Well, you know, um, what are some things I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about how you've been able financially to have the van uh, that carries your two little wheelchairs around and the in-home uh, nursing care. How, have your, how has your family been able to afford that? And, you know, I'm not asking anything too personal, but just generally, what are some things that people can do who are struggling that give them some tips of, of people they can call or organizations they can call? Or how did you guys, who did you turn to when you said, I can't do this, I need some help? Well, with the nursing, you know, we just, we, we have very good health insurance, and in the beginning, we had to, you know, be very proactive in trying to obtain it because that's the last thing they want to do is admit that you, they need that because then it never ends. So that was a lot of fighting in, with the insurance people in the early years. But as the kids became more medically fragile, you know, it, it, it just fell into place. So that's, everything's through Kevin's job. And um, so I say civil service all the way, <laughs> you know. Yeah. For us, yes. it has been, you know, great. And then the van, just Kevin works so much. He's, he, he, you know, he works a lot. Exactly. You know? And tell the listeners, Kevin, tell listeners a little bit about these vans, because I know my husband and I, we are blessed to have a wheelchair accessible van for our son. And my husband and I have just started a foundation, actually, where we're hoping to be able to help other families that can't afford these vans because it made all the difference in our life, being able to travel together as a family, get out into the world. And sometimes I'll be joke, I'll joke with my son, we'll be driving along and, and I'll say, you know, I'm driving a $30,000 Toyota van that should really have a Mercedes sticker on the front because it costs a heck of a lot more than $30,000. Probably the most expensive car we own, and it's a stinking minivan, you know? So tell tell a little bit about about what what these vans, how much they cost, and how you go about getting them. Oh, it's crazy. The the one we have now, we wound up, uh, because as the kids grew older, the chairs got bigger, and we weren't able to go with the standard size van we had to get an extended van and you know the van itself was the price tag was astronomical fortunately we were able to take the lift from our old van and put it into the new van so we saved some money there but you know these vehicles the price of them gets way out of control you're up sixty seventy thousand dollars without like right you know uh, i don't and there's not a lot of that not that we have found. There has not been a lot of uh, support out there to help people purchase these things. You see people doing fundraisers and things like that to try to, you know, be able to, to afford it. 
Yeah. The average person can't afford a sixty or seventy thousand dollar vehicle. That, that just exactly. isn't going to happen. Exactly, uh, and that's exactly what we found. Go ahead, Lori. When you're a young family, you certainly can't. You know, right? Just getting right. day to day when, is. When, is Yes, you're exactly right. And that's what they don't understand is you have to buy the vehicle first and then the modifications that have to be done to the vehicle. You're looking at another sometimes twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. So you've got two cars for the, for, you know, one car for the price of two cars, yeah. really. Exactly. And, and how many, how many young families are in a position to buy a vehicle at that price? It, it's, you know, really a lot to put on. Young exactly, and, and you can see there are so many challenges that are confronting young families, and you see why the uh, divorce rate and separation rate is so high with with children with special needs because there's just too many challenges coming from all over. Right, something as simple as being able to run to the store for a gallon of milk, and you have a child that you can't leave home, but you don't have a vehicle that you can take them with you. Uh, it's things that people don't even think about. Absolutely. And, and right. then, like you say, as they age, I know as our son got older, his wheelchair got bigger. And as his wheelchair got bigger, then we had to adjust the height and, and we'd, you know, or he'd ha we'd have to get a new van because the cars get old. The, right. You know, four or five, six years down the road, it's like any other car. It doesn't matter if it has a ramp in it. It gets old and it has to be replaced. And so we're looking at another sixty-five dollars or $70,000. And it's just like anything else. There's trade-in values. And yeah, it's something that I'm really hoping that my husband and I can make a difference because it made all the difference for us being able to take him out, get him out of the house, get us out of the house. Because cabin fever, Lori, you probably have experienced that. It, yes, it, can, yes. really, it can really head into depression if you can't get out in a way once in a while. Right. And then again, the nurses help with that. We're so fortunate. And every day I say how blessed we are. Yep. Well, you truly are. And I can't think of an, another family that would have been a better match for ending our Thanksgiving month because you guys have definitely given us a lot of things to be thankful for and helped us, I think, recognize our blessings and um, just absolutely amazing. Kevin, thank you for your service. And Lori, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do to keep your family going and, and to take care of these two adult children that require absolutely everything. And I just think it's absolutely amazing. You have a, a wonderful group around you, a wonderful support group. And it's been an absolute blessing to have you as my guest today. I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much. Thank All you right. You. you guys have a great week. You too. Thank Thanks, you very much. Bye-bye. Uh -huh, Whoa. Well, I'm going to really try hard not to burst into tears because that was an amazing family. And I hope that all of you were touched as I have to recognize that life goes on. Sometimes we wish it wouldn't, but life does go on in spite of our trials, in spite of our hardships. And find something that you can do today. And I'm so glad that Kevin was able to share with all of you what it takes to provide transportation for these families that have children that are in wheelchairs. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that on some of our later shows. But I 
I really hope that you will look for opportunities. If you find out that there's a fundraising project going on in your area, please donate to these families. It sounds so simple. You think that, that the transportation is such a small part, but it's really a huge part of families being able to get out of their house, uh, go have some fun, get some sunshine on their faces and it's just amazing. And I, and I love what Lori said about civil service work because I think sometimes we place way too much emphasis on um, different kinds of businesses when we look at the basic civil service jobs that, that really enhance our lives and, and make us what we are in this beautiful United States of America. So thank you all for joining me today. It was a wonderful experience. I hope all of you had huge lists of things that you could be thankful for this month. I hope that being thankful was not just a one-day experience for you, but I hope it's an everyday experience. As we're coming into the month of, of Christmas, I'm going to be talking a lot about the uh, the wonderful parts that this this month brings to the nation and to our families, remembering and bringing families close together and what it means to be together as families if you have children with disabilities. And, and I think we've got some wonderful shows coming up, so I hope you'll join me on those. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast live, remember that you can listen to it. Um, after it's been broadcast on my blog, which is www.heavenandnot.com. And I will have Kevin and Lori's uh, podcast up within a couple of hours so you can listen to it, share it, spread the word. And I hope you all have a great and wonderful day. And we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. <music> 